In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Our Bible study tonight from Psalm 66. The title of this psalm, To the Chief Musician, a song, a psalm. Chief musician can be the, the Lord God or can be direction to the head of the choir or the musicians like Himan or Asaf. Psalm 66 and also the previous Psalm 65, both of them were described as song and a psalm. Song means hymn, and when we read the word song and a psalm, both means it is used in the temple during the liturgical prayer. In the title of this psalm, according to the Vulgate, which is the Latin translation of the Septuagint, or the Septuagint, or the Ethiopic, or the Arabic translation, it is called a psalm of resurrection. Because in this psalm, how God delivered them from death to life, like in crossing the Red Sea, they were like dead. The sea in front of them, Pharaoh and all his soldiers behind them. So they were like dead. But how God actually made a path, road, in the middle of the sea. That's why it's called a psalm of resurrection. There is no mention of the name of the author in the title. So although the author is not known, but few commentators said it is a psalm of David. The occasion on which this psalm is composed is not known and cannot be determined. But there are many theories. Many believe that it is supposed to be a celebration of the return from Babylon when Israel was captive in Babylon and they returned back. Others think it commemorates the deliverance of Israel from Egypt and their entering into the promised land and the establishment of the worship in the temple. Other counted as Maccabees Thanksgiving when they renovate the temple and dedicate the temple to God. It is the feast of dedication. And some say it speaks of the deliverance of Jerusalem from Sanharib. And the language of the Psalm, especially verse 9, clearly refers to some wonderful intervention by which God had delivered the nation from a danger which threatened its existence. As we read in verse 9, who keeps our soul among the living, which means we were like dead, but God kept our soul among the living and does not allow our feet to be moved. That's why it's called a psalm of resurrection. Unlike Psalm 65, because both of them, a song and a psalm, this also is a liturgical praise 
sung by the people on joyful occasion, most probably in the feast of Passover. It is a psalm of thanksgiving. The word sila, we find it three times, verse 4, 7, and 15. Sila is like a musical notation or perhaps a pause or a change in volume or intensity or just indication for reflection or meditation. So people should pause to reflect or meditate on the meaning of the psalm. So in this psalm, the psalmist used sila three times to signal transitions from one idea to another idea. Also, his talk about the house of God in verse 13 doesn't make us assume it is composed after the building of the temple by Solomon, because the tabernacle of meeting also is called house of God, as we read in Exodus 23:19 and Judges 18:31. And 1918. This psalm is 20 verses. From verse 1 to 5, the psalmist calls the earth to praise God. 6 and 7, remembering God's salvation works. From 8 to 12, praising God for his recent deliverance of his people. 13 to 15, paying vows in the name of the people. From 16 to 20, a call to all those who fear God to praise Him. So let's start from verse 1. Make a joyful shout to God, all the earth. Sing out the honor of His name. Make His praise glorious. These two verses are full of words of cheerfulness, like might, power, joyful shout, sing, glory, praise. And here we can see how all the earth is called to worship God and acknowledge the greatness of His power. As in Psalm 65 and the next Psalm 67, Psalm 66 has not only Israel in the mind, but all the earth. The psalmist understood that God was not only God over Israel, but He is God of the whole world. So, it starts by a call for exaltation and praise. Sing out the honor of His name, as we read in verse 2. Sing out the honor of His name which means recognize His glory in your praise of Him. Celebrate in appropriate praise the honor that is due to the name of God. As if the psalmist is saying, don't merely thank God for His kindness to you personally, but magnify Him for His greatness and majesty. There is difference between thanksgiving and praise. Thanksgiving when I give thanks to God for what He did to me. But praise is to praise the Lord for who He is. 
Like when we say holy, 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 we are praising God because He is all holy. So this son is not calling just to thank God, but to praise Him for His greatness and majesty. And as he said, make his praise glorious. So let the high praises of God be in your mouth. Give him the most worthy praise. Praise him in the best manner. According to St. Augustine, when we praise God by words as well as by work, and when all our goal in life is the glory of God and not our own glory, God will not let anything pass without glorifying us in Him. So St. Augustine is saying, if you want to glorify yourself, you will be humbled. But if you glorify God and make all your life revolving about glorifying God, then God will glorify you and will honor you. So, our glorification of God from our whole heart will come back to us. When we don't seek our own glory, God will pour His glory on us. St. Augustine says, See how He takes away what is ours, our own glory. He, he asked us not to glorify ourselves. Why? To give us what is His, to give us His own glory. How He grants us His glory. Sing therefore, not for the sake of your name, but for the sake of the name of the Lord your God. Sing for Him to be glorified. Let us cling to Him and be glorified in Him. When we glorify God, we will be glorified in Him. Verse 3 Say to God, How awesome are your works! Through the greatness of your power, your enemies shall submit themselves to you. So, one may begin to praise God by thinking upon the greatness of His work in creation, in salvation, in restoration. By telling God how awesome His works are, say to God, how awesome are your works. Praise may continue in the recognition of the great power of God, which brought forth the awesome works. This awesome and powerful God has enemies, but through His great power, they will be conquered and brought to submit themselves to God. Through the greatness of your power, your enemies shall submit themselves to you. So verse 3 declares the need to shout praise to God because of God's triumph over his enemies. Every person will bow his knee to God whether willingly like the believers or unwillingly like the unbelievers. They submit because they cannot do otherwise. 
In the last day, every power will submit to the power of God. It is not because of their faithfulness they will submit to Him, but because of His power, which keeps them subject of His infinite dominion. St. Augustine says, Wherefore, with fear and trembling, he has subjoined the reason. What is the reason why they will submit to God in fear and trembling? For God it is that works in you both to will and to work according to your goodwill. That actually what according to goodwill. That's what St. Paul said. So St. Augustine is saying, if it is God who works in us to will and to work, if therefore God works in you, by the grace of God you will work well, not by your strength. Therefore, if you rejoice, fear also means pay respect to God, lest perchance that which was given to a humble man will be taken away from a proud one. If what good works I do because of His grace, and I attributed these good works to me, then I am a proud person. God will take His grace from me. Then I cannot either will or work what's good. Verse 4, All the earth shall worship you, and sing praises to you, they shall sing praises to your name. Selah. So the earth always worship and gives the praises to God. Everything about the creation praises God. When they follow the order that God actually made for them, that's how they praise the Lord in their obedience, in their submission. It also signifies all the earth, means all the inhabitants of the world, in the whole world, will bow down before God. Yes, the time will come when God will be worshipped by everyone as a true God, in the last day. And they shall sing praises to your name, God would not be worshipped as unknown God. But the word your name means his nature and works will be the matter of the earth song. Acceptable worship praises God through the knowledge of his character. As the Lord said to the Samaritan woman, you worship him whom you do not know, but we worship God whom we know. St. Augustine says, Then have been the lies of the Jews. He whom they branded as a deceiver, they said the Lord Jesus Christ is a deceiver. So, Jesus Christ, who was branded as a deceiver by the Jews, will be worshipped and praised over all the Gentile world. And not only there, but also in the courts of heaven, 
because his name is above every name. A little before, most slowly, when the Jews arrested him and said, crucify him, crucify him. But now he is the most highest. Most lowly in the hands of flying enemies like the Jews. Most highest above the heads of praising angels. And as we said, Salah means to signal transition. Or it may denote what he just mentioned in verse 4 is a well-attested truth. Or it is a pause for contemplation. Verse 5, now he is calling the earth, come and see the works of God. He is awesome in his doing toward the sons of men. Come and see. The psalmist felt that perhaps others might be slow to think of God's awesome work. That's why he is inviting them, come and see. He would help in describing how God is awesome in his doing toward the children of men. All the nations are invited to contemplate on God's mighty works for his people in the past and also to learn that the sovereignty to which they bear witness is eternal and universal. Come and see what God has done and what he is doing in order to witness and experience it firsthand. Come and learn from this who he is. People can begin to praise God when they see and experience his wonders and works personally. This reminds me when Philip said to Nathaniel, come and see. Nathaniel at the first was doubting that a prophet may come from Nazareth. But when he saw the Lord Jesus Christ, and the Lord told him, I saw you when you were under the fig tree. When Nathaniel experienced God and how he knows the secrets of the hearts, Nathaniel admitted and confessed, you are truly the Son of God. Father Onsimus of Jerusalem says, All who believe in him and who meditate in his works will perceive how awesome he is. Verse 6, Now we start to remember the works of God with Israel. He turned the sea, the Red Sea, into dry land. They went through the river, the Jordan River, on foot. There we were rejoice in him. So the psalmist, after he said, come and see, now he is turning to the history of the Holy Scripture and remembered how God showed his power in bringing Israel from the land of Egypt through the Red Sea and also how they crossed the Jordan River to the Promised Land. These events are referred to as the most notable of his awesome acts. It is an illustration of his power, of his ability to defend and deliver his people. 
they were like that enemy from behind them see in front of them but God delivered them and we can read in Exodus chapter 15 how this deliverance was a matter of joy and rejoicing but the psalmist did not say they rejoiced in him he said there there we will rejoice in him we will rejoice in him counting the joy of the people of Israel in their salvation as his own joy and also the joy of the people in every generation and until now in midnight praises in the first host we actually we celebrate the deliverance of Israel from the land of Egypt spiritually speaking the secret of rejoicing according to St. Augustine is that the believer's souls turn from a sea to dry land on which one goes through by foot St. Augustine said the sea is the world the world was a sea bitter with saltness troubled with storm raging with waves of persecution truly the sea has been turned into dry land to the children of God and now the world that was filled with salted water thirst for water that's sweet now the world cries my soul longs for you like a thirsty land so St. Augustine says the world is like the sea but now God as he turned the sea into dry land he will turn us into dry land and in this dry land we will be longing for the sweet water for the living water St. Augustine says what God did for all the world he does for every soul flooded with the salt sea of repentant tears drying it up that's another beautiful meaning you know the tears are salty so he said when our eyes are flooded by tears like David after his sin when our eyes are flooded by the repentant tears God in his compassion and in his kindness will dry these tears up then the psalmist referred to crossing the Jordan River they went through the river on foot also it is spoken of the courage with which the faithful shall pass through this life if you remember God said when their foot touch the bottom of the river the river will split this needed courage and trust in God so the person who follow God and obey God will not be affected by the flood of worldliness yet on foot foot means also lowly humble he will follow God not lifted up with pride 
And St. Augustine continues and make a comment about we will rejoice. There we will rejoice in him. He said far more truly in passing from the waters of sin to the heaven of quiet and safety. For even if we are joyous now, in hope we are joyous. But then in him shall we be joyous. Even now in him, yet through hope, but then face to face. So he said, if we rejoice in the Lord now, here and now, also in hope, we will rejoice when we see him face to face at the end of the days. Verse 7, he rules by his power forever. His eyes observe the nations. Do not let the rebellious exalt themselves. Salah, the second Salah. He rules by his power forever. What was true in the past is true in the present and also in the future. God's sovereignty is eternal. And he observed, his eyes observe the nations. God keeps constant watch upon the heathen nations whose general attitude is hostility to the children of God. Why he observed the nation lest his people should suffer at their hand. They cannot conceal anything from him. Yes, as we read in verse 3, they will be submissive to God. But their submission is not to be depended on. Because at any time they will rebel and they will attack the people of God. And the nation actually try to exalt themselves. That's why he said, do not let the rebellious, after they submitted to God, then they rebel. Don't let the rebellious exalt themselves. All such attempt to exalt themselves will be in vain. Why? Because he rules by his power forever. So this is a warning to those who persistently and repeatedly resist God's will to humble themselves. St. Augustine says, Let them be humbled in themselves, but exalted in Christ. For he that humbles himself to God shall be exalted. God will glorify him. And he who exalts himself shall be humbled. His eyes observe the nation. This may mean also, it is the look of compassion. God looks with compassion on the heathen, the non-believers, longing for their return and salvation longing that they may believe in him so they will be saved. Even the rebellious, God cares for them. And then after verse 7, another silah, it's pause for contemplation and a transition as well. Verse 8, O bless our God, you peoples, and make the voice of his praise to be heard. So in verse 8, a renewed call to the nations to praise God 
for his deliverance of Israel from dangers. And he delivered all of us from the captivity of Satan. Bless our God. When the psalmist calls people to bless God, he is calling them to kneel in worship and honor to him as demonstration of reverence and expression of praise. He also said, make the voice of his praise to be heard by declaring it to others. St. Augustine says, praise not yourselves, but praise him. Don't glorify yourself, but praise him. What is the voice of his praise? That by his grace, we are whatever of good we are. So, when the people see the light of Christ in us, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good works and glorify God. So, that is the voice of his praise. Our good deeds actually will praise God, will speak loud about his grace that's working in us. As if the psalmist is saying, compel unwilling ears to hear the praises of your God by your good works, when your light shine before men. Verse 9, he explains why we praise God, who keeps our soul among the living and does not allow our feet to be moved. So in, Psalm, in verse 9, the psalmist is explaining why we ought to make the voice of his praise to be heard. Because Israel was on the point of death and ruin. All of us, we were on the point of death, eternal death because of our sins. But God preserved it and supported us. And the tenses indicate that the words are not the statement of a general truth, but refer particularly to the deliverance from the trial described in the following verses. He said, who keeps our soul among the living and does not allow our feet to be moved. God preserved his people and giving them life. He said he does not allow our feet to be moved because he has set us on the rock. The rock is Jesus. As we read in 1 Corinthians, the rock followed them and the rock was the Lord Jesus Christ. This rock is firm and unshaken. Yes, God allowed them to go through some hardships for their benefit. As we read in verse 10, For you, O God, have tested us. You have refined us as silver is refined. So when God allows us to go through hardships or trials to purify us as the silver. So, yes, the psalmist praised God for life, but recognized the hardships of life. From verse 10 to 12, he describes the nature of trials the people of God have felt. With fire, like refining silver, fire of persecution and suffering. And then those who will go through the fire of persecution and suffering, they will enjoy 
the fire of heavenly love. St. Cyril of Alexandria says, For the order of a saintly life needs the divine fire to make its perfume known, as incense requires glowing coals to quicken its properties. So, St. Cyril is saying, the coals, if you don't actually make it burning, if you put incense on them, you will not smell the perfume of incense. So, the perfume of our saintly life will appear and be manifested to others when actually we go through the fire of trials. That's how the people will smell the sweet aroma of the Lord Jesus Christ in us. And I'm sure you heard how the martyrs and their families in our time, I'm not speaking about fourth century, in our time, how those who endured suffering and persecution and martyrdom, their aroma spread in the whole world. St. Augustine says, A silver which is purified by heat, not as a straw which is burned up by it. If you put straw or hay, they will be burned by fire. But the children of God, like silver or gold, in heat you will become refined and purified. And note that the precise moment when silver is truly refined, is that in which the refiner can see his face exactly mirrored in the burning face. They put the silver or gold in fire until the refiner can look and see his face in the silver. In the same way, we know that our purification is complete when Christ can see his image reflected in our hearts. Verse 11, You brought us into the net. You laid affliction on our backs. You brought us into the net. The allusion here is to the efforts made by their enemies to take them, to capture them, as hunters spread nets to capture wild beasts but also this by the permission of God. So God deliberately brought them into the power of their enemies to discipline them for their sins, and this leads to repentance. So God sometimes allows for his children to be brought into a net set by the enemy and to be weighed down in humiliation but for a limited time to chasten and to refine them and to justify and to crown them. The martyrs were brought into the snare of dungeons and prisons, chains. They suffered tortures, heavy weights, and even plates of burning metals laid upon them and upon their back. Verse 12, you have caused men to ride over our heads, we went through fire and through water, but you brought us out to rich fulfillment.
The psalmist says that they used to stand in battle and fight on equal footing with their enemies. Then, in this battle, they were cast down and filled their enemies riding in triumph over them, over their heads. You caused men to ride over our heads. So, the children of God in the beginning, they felt victory, but now they feel defeat. They went through fire and water. They felt that they have been through it all. And it seems like no adversity has been kept from them. Fire and water, according to St. Augustine, means mingled sorrows and pleasures of life. Water, pleasure of life, fire, sorrows. The psalmist said to God that he understood that in some ultimate sense their affliction was from God. Because he said, you have caused men to ride over us. And it is allowed by God himself. But while they were in fire and in water, they continued to trust in God. And God vindicated himself and their trust. Not only delivering them from difficulty, he did not deliver them only from fire and water, but bringing them to rich fulfillment. Like the children of Israel, he did not deliver them only from Egypt, but he took them to the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey. So the rich fulfillment would never have come apart from difficulties. They have to go through fire and water in order to enjoy the rich fulfillment. So one may ask, why should we praise God? when we are going through all of this turmoil. Again, if we go back to verse 9, because God preserved our life through it all, if we endure to the end. And the second reason, because God brought us out to reach fulfillment. That's why we praise Him. He saved our life. He delivered us from the difficulties not only delivered us from the land of slavery, land of bondage, but also he brought us to rich fulfillment. So despite all that we must endure and suffer, we are always brought out into the abundance and blessing of God, rich fulfillment. God keeps us in life and goes with us through the fire into abundance and blessing. So, there is the other side that we came out from that we cannot see when we are in the midst of the storm. So, in the midst of the tribulation, maybe you are blind, we cannot see the rich fulfillment. But it's a promise from God, if we endure, He will actually bring us to rich fulfillment. We have no comprehension how anything good could happen or even how our life will work out while we are in the trial. But that's his promise. But as we walk through fire and water, water can refer to the repentant tears, and the fire is the fire of the divine love 
then our faith is refined and God always is with us. Verse 13 I will go into your house with burnt offerings. I will pay you my vows. So, in the final passage of this psalm, the psalm speaks about the praise he will give as a person, as individual. So the praise is not only praising God by his words, but by paying the vows. He began by describing how he comes into the house of God with offering and payment of vows. The people leaders and representatives enter the temple to pay the vows which they made in the hour of national distress. Like if there is a national distress, maybe a leader, a priest or a bishop make vows on behalf of his people, then he go and enter into the houses of God and pays these vows. So the strict performance of vows was always held to be one of the main obligations. If you make a vow, you need actually to fulfill it. Because a vow is like an agreement with God. And to break the vow is an act of deliberate dishonesty. The law of Moses allowed vows of various kinds. Some parents vow their children to serve the Lord, like Samuel. Vows of Nazarite, like Simpson. Vow of clean or unclean animals, to bring clean animals and to offer it to the Lord. But clean animals, when vowed, must be either redeemed or sacrificed. So the psalmist here determined to praise God by obeying, by obeying his com command regarding sacrifices and bringing these sacrifices to the altar of God. So after he encouraged all the people to praise God, now he declares to be his own decree and promise to worship and serve God and set a good example to all the people. So now he is explaining how he obeys God's commandment and pays the vows that he promised God. Because he promised God certain sacrifices and now he would not sin by failing to bring these sacrifices. St. Augustine says, I will go into your house and says, either by withdrawing into myself for secret communion with you. So going to your house, maybe when I go into my inner room and I enter into my heart, because remember that my body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Or I go into your house means to the place of public worship like the church. Or at last in the second coming, into the heavenly city. So he said, your house can be the heart, can be the place of public worship like the church or heavenly Jerusalem. And with burnet offering, you know burnet offering 
is completely burned, completely burned, not like the peace offering. So, with burdened offering means having consumed all that's mine, I offered myself completely by victory over self and leaving only what's God's. So, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So, this is true of Christ who ascended into the Holy of the Holies with whole burdened offering of himself when he offered himself completely on the cross. And also true of martyrs who offered their body completely as a sacrifice to God. Offering my vows, whether of baptism, because in baptism we made a vow when we renounced Satan and we vowed our life to God, or the vow of religious life, every time we repent and confess, or self-dedication of any kind, if I'm dedicating myself to be servant or to be clergyman or a monk or a nun. And the word pay, pay my vow, means these vows are debts, not merely voluntarily offering. Voluntary offering, maybe you don't need to make it. But vow, now any vow is like a debt, I will pay my vows. Which my lips have uttered and my mouth has spoken. Implying a distinct, clear agreement made with God. Not a mere passing thought or promise of mine but a positive action of the will. I will do this, I vow to do this. Vow were commonly made in time of trouble or difficulty. Verse 15, I will offer you burned sacrifices of fat animals, fat animals. With the sweet aroma of rams, I will offer bulls with goats. Selah. So the psalmist would fulfill his vows to God with generous, expensive sacrifices, offering multiple animals and fat animals. What he brought to God was of the best, they were fat animals. And when he said sweet aroma of rams, rams don't have aroma, because the word aroma applied to incense when it is burned in the tabernacle or the temple and produces sweet odor. But here the word aroma used to reference to the smoke ascending from burning rams offered in sacrifice. So God will accept this sacrifice and this smoke will ascend before God as the smoke and God will smoke and God will accept it as a sweet aroma. St. Augustine made a beautiful comment about the sweet aroma of rams and said, the rams are the ruler of the church. The whole body, the rulers of the whole body of Christ is speaking. This is the thing which he offers to God. Incense is what? Prayer. So the incense of rams is therefore the prayer offered as incense before God by the rulers of the church. 
So he said, rams, symbol of the rulers, like the clergymen. And aroma is incense, and incense is prayer. So I will come with a sweet aroma of rams, I will come with the prayers of the clergymen who are praying on behalf of the people. That's what St. Augustine says. Bulls, according to St. Augustine, when he said, I will offer bulls with goats, he said, bulls labor in the Lord's field like servants, signify clergy and servants. Goats, repentant sinner. When he said, I will offer bulls with goats, goats, repentant sinner. Then, Sila again, which is a contemplation and a transition. Verse 16, come and hear. Before he said, come and see. Now he is saying, come and hear. Come and hear all of you who fear God. Now he is not calling everybody. Calling only those who fear God. And I will declare what he has done for my soul. For me personally. So in verse 5, the psalmist called everybody to come and see God's work toward humanity. But now, in verse 16, he addresses those who fear God to come and hear his individual witness. All who fear God, those who are true worshippers of God, invited to hear what God has done for the psalmist. In order that he might be fittingly honored that due praise might be given to God. So, when he said, I pay my vows, the vow of the psalmist not only fulfilled through sacrifices, but he has an obligation to proclaim God's goodness, to declare what God has done for my soul. So we can see here the psalmist offered sacrifices of animal and a sacrifice of praise. He wants to share his praise to God with others so they can know what God has done for him. St. Augustine says, But to whom come you and hear, all you that fear God? So if you don't fear God, I will not tell you. Because it is not possible that it be told to any where the fear of God is not. The works of God cannot be shared with people who do not fear Him. Let the fear of God open your ears that there may be something to enter in, a way whereby may enter in that which I am going to tell. So, what will open our ears? The fear of God. Verse 17, I cried to him with my mouth, and he was extolled with my tongue. I cried to him with my mouth, vocal, ardent, and fervent prayer. At the same time, the psalmist prayed for deliverance out of his distress. He praised God for the mercies he had received. So in the same time, while he is praying for deliverance, he is praising God for God's mercies. So no one should think that God 
could be persuaded merely through sacrifices. But it is important to make clear that the psalmist did not only offer sacrifices, but from pure heart. That's why after he said, I cried to him with my mouth, and he was extolled with my tongue, he said, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. So these sacrifices must be offered from a pure heart. He make it very clear, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. He did not hold on to iniquity in his heart, meaning he is definitely nobody is pure, 100%. But the meaning of this verse, I am fighting the good fight all the time to live life of repentance and life of holiness. Hypocrisy disqualify the supplicant person. The psalmist was confident that he is not, not hypocrite. And because God answered his prayer, this was a proof that he was not hypocrite. Because God will not hear prayer of hypocrites. And there is no self-righteousness here. He just claims or admits that he has a clear conscience with no offense toward God and men. As if he is saying, if I, had, if I have not been willing to forsake all sin, to fight all sin, if I recognized iniquity in my heart and disregarded, encouraged, and was pleased with it, God will not hear me. I didn't keep any sin without fighting it in my heart. And definitely it's not literally if I regard iniquity in my heart, because no one can look into his heart, not to see it's defiled or not. But he means, if he had cherished sin in his soul, if he had rejoiced over past sins, if he had thought on any sin with pleasure, and approved it with his will, God will not hear his prayer. The Lord will not hear. So in order that prayer may be heard, there must be a purpose to forsake all forms of sin. So this is a great and very important principle in prayer. If we regard wickedness in our heart, then God is not going to listen to us. So we should not be surprised to see our prayers unanswered if we don't care to repent and to remove iniquity from our heart. Verse 19, But certainly God has heard me. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. So the psalmist's prayer had been answered directly by God. God listened, implying that he found the psalmist innocent of any evil intention, any hypocrisy, and God has given him evidence that he has, he has heard his prayer, which is an evidence that he did not regard any iniquity in his heart. St. Augustine says, here the speaker has reached to resurrection, which was actually anticipate and hope for. Resurrection, because sin is death, the wages of sin is death. 
The psalmist understood how wonderful it was that God received his prayer and how it made God more to be praised. That's why in verse 20, the conclusion of this psalm, he said, Blessed be God who heard my prayer, who has not turned away my prayer, nor his mercy from me. So the psalmist therefore praised God who has not turned away his prayer and who has not withheld his mercy from him. So he told others, those who fear God, he told them what God had done for his soul. God attended to the voice of his prayer and maybe we would expect after verse 19 he said, God has attended to the voice of my prayer so he would say which means I did not regard iniquity in my heart so instead of saying therefore there is no iniquity in my heart the psalmist completed the psalm in an unexpected way praising the mercy of God and he said his mercy endures forever his mercy from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him all which require thankfulness and praise when we reflect on the mercies of God God will not turn back the prayer of the righteous God does not remove his love from us these are important reminders when we are going through trial or hardship St. Augustine says when you see that your supplication was not turned away you should be sure that his mercy is not turned away from you as well this concludes psalm 66 glory be to god forever and ever amen